You are listening to the Lifestyle Emporium podcast, episode number two. A cheat sheet for a flourishing marriage. And this is for my married and single friends. My name is Ellen Meyer, and I am delighted to welcome you to your new gathering place, a hub of fresh encounters, inspiration, courage and life skills that will help you realize and fulfill the purpose that you have been created for all while living in joy and abundance throughout the journey. This is a weekly interactive conversational lifestyle podcast, which I created to connect with my girlfriends all over the world. I would like to accompany you, my friend, wherever you are, whether it be on your lunch break, in a traffic jam or folding laundry. Our time together is destined to bring you new motivation and encouragement to offer you a fresh perspective and give you the tools to alleviate overwhelm and anxiety. For this podcast to truly make a difference, really listen, reflect and engage. There may just be something that you need to be reminded of today. I wanted to prepare today's podcast in time for Valentine's Day, but in true Ellen style, I am late. Thankfully, these little truth bombs do not date. This podcast is entirely dedicated to the man who is the bubbles in my champagne and the cream in my coffee. He is my glass of red wine at the end of a crazy week. He is absolutely my better half. This is a tribute to you, my Mr. Meyer. And it is also an apology because I did not buy you a Valentine's gift. Sorry, babe. So cute that this does not even matter to you even though I know you like surprises. Anyway, I digress. Last year, we celebrated our 10-year anniversary. How on earth this man puts up with me? No, how he loves me the way he does is the greatest unsolved mystery of all time. But I was not always loved like this. To recount my failed relationships will take days, and I won't bore you. But when I met Mr. Meyer at the age of 30, I felt like I have been waiting my whole entire life. So, my single friends, I include something for you as well in this podcast because, well, I was once you. So without further ado, here is my personal cheat sheet for a flourishing marriage. Point number one is about Valentine's Day or any other day that creates expectation. Listen to my words of infinite wisdom, ladies. Are you ready? Here it is. Have very low expectations of your other half. I kid you not. It is a marvelous strategy to avoid disappointment. So he didn't get you flowers or he forgot. Get over it. And next time, buy yourself a big bouquet of flowers and a lovely bottle of French champagne and celebrate life anyway. They usually feel terrible when they see the big bunch of flowers, which you thank him for. (laughs) On the more serious side though, talk about your hopes and expectations before you get married. Single friends, before you get married, (laughs) discuss how you like to celebrate and what you would like to happen on special occasions. Or what are you worried about might not happen. Don't expect the other person to just know. Without discussing these little hopes and expectations, you are setting yourselves up for failure. And if you are a few years down the line, or already married and have never talked about it before, have a good sit down and talk. And when you've communicated, put systems into place. 
Seriously, you can even put a reminder on his phone. But then release it and don't tie your personal worth to the size of the gesture you receive. Birthdays are important to me and so far Mr. Meyer has never forgotten one. I think it is because he knows that my present to myself will cost at least double than his present to me. Point number two. Selfishness is not the point of self-care. This is the age where self-care is hyper-trending. I'm afraid the term is misunderstood and we may be shooting ourselves in the foot. I think the term was originally intended for people who are working hard and selflessly caring for others as a way to say, it's okay, you have permission to also look after yourself. Fill your cup so you have something to pour into others. A wonderful concept, but instead, I'm afraid that every encouragement of self-care has been calligraphied, framed and reposted to death by many of us who would do rather well to work on other care rather than self-care. By now I might have lost anyone who really needs to hear my point number two, which is instead of focusing on yourself and what you need, instead of focusing on how you can get him to do the things that are important to you, do the reverse. Find out what is important to your partner and truly make a consistent effort to do what is important for them. Yep, put your partner first. And then apply point number one. Don't expect anything. Outrageous, I know. This is a lifelong learning curve. But here's the deal. When you look out for your partner and truly place his needs before yours, it invokes a sense of gratitude in the other person and you will see behavior change. So stick with it and you can thank me later. Point number three. Learn the love language of you and your spouse. This is a fun little activity. Gary Chapman's book did not become a bestseller for nothing. If you think about your spouse, what are the things that make them come alive? How do they enjoy receiving and giving love? Speak their language. You know, you can do a free quiz to help you find your love language on their website. They actually have a quiz for the whole family. The five love languages are quality time, physical touch, acts of service, giving and receiving gifts, and words of affirmation. In my opinion, it is all about being considerate and attentive to the ones you love in a way that matters to them. A personal side note, I really love Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages, but it has confirmed once again just how complicated I really am. I think I need all of the Five Love Languages, but at different times. Poor Mr. Meyer. <laughs> Number four, know that love alone does not conquer all. Yes, you heard me. Love alone is not enough to keep you happily together. It may sound like common sense, but think about it. At some point of our life, we all seem to have a warped definition of love. Just think back to your very first earth-moving crush. You can't eat, you can't sleep, and you think that you would move mountains for this person. All based on the wild chemistry that seems to take over your body. We have all been there. Yet, our understanding of the concept of love will naturally affect our expression of it. We all know that in the 70s, free love basically meant as much enjoyment with as many people 
and with as little commitment as possible. I can't even imagine how many broken hearts and families occurred during this time. Come to think of it, perhaps not much have changed. We still use the term loosely, reducing love to an emotion that should be accompanied by feelings of happiness. With this philosophy, therefore, in the absence of happiness, love is consequently also absent. We start our relationship by falling in love, as if it happens by accident. And by these terms, you could also fall out of love just as easily. So here is a question. What does love mean to you? Discuss and define what love means to you as a couple. In the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, it highlights words and phrases like affection, attraction, to like or desire actively, to hold dear or cherish. Many are feeling words. Feelings, as we know, change like the wind. While the circumstances of life changes and we need to remain flexible, love needs to be something that we can count on regardless of what life throws at us. Wedding vows are said in one moment in time. They should perhaps be repeated as a mantra to remind ourselves what we truly promised each other. Love alone does not conquer all, not without actions such as commitment, respect and devotion and not without the understanding that it should be unconditional. I know what you are going to say, it has to be mutual. I hear you, but here's the thing. In a lifetime together, there are times when the true love of one carries the other through a difficult season. And then, in a different season, the other one may bear that privilege. Thousands of marriages will be saved if we would be prepared to stay committed to our vows and carry each other through seasons, knowing that seasons do change. Write out your love as a declaration of commitment with the objective to make it together, conquering anything that may come against it. Let us not reduce love to mere feelings and hold on to the fact that true love matures, it gets richer and more fulfilling as we vanquish life challenges and write our unique love story together. Okay, let's get to the next part in the list. Here are some things that you may find useful, credited mostly to those marriages who have endured the storms of life and have lasted even much longer than ours. Ready for number five? When you fight, and you will, fight clean. We hold the heart of our love in our hands. We know deep and secret vulnerabilities that have been entrusted to us. What are we going to do with that? We could use them as weapons or guard the heart of the one we love. Which brings me to number six. Choose being kind over being right. This may have been a Pinterest post, but it is gold. When our need to be right is greater than our desire to love and build, we cultivate an environment of self-righteousness, criticism and judgment. Our choice. Number seven. Single ladies, hear me. Two broken people do not make one whole one. Never enter a relationship with the hope of fixing someone. Drop it like it's hot, darlings. You are not a savior. And also, don't expect for someone to rescue you, not emotionally nor financially. We can simply not rely on anyone else to make us happy. And we cannot continually make another person happy. 
if they are, well, not a happy person. However, if you are already in a marriage where you thought that you could save your spouse or they could save you, know that though this may not be easy, my friend, there is much hope and strength in the power of a supportive community. You can and should get help. Be sure to create a support network for the both of you that can consist of trained professionals and friends and decide for this to be a chapter in your story and not the entire book. Number eight, be the person that you want to be with. This is a much more effective strategy than making it your life's calling to better your spouse. Number nine, be captivated, don't compare. Comparison cultivates insecurity and discontent. The marriage that you think is better than yours is absolutely not. Great marriages are great because they find the treasures in the one that they are with and they become captivated by the one that they choose over and over again and they simply don't give up. This is something that you can do too. Number 10. Get good at forgiving. Holding grudges is a heavy burden and know this, at some point you are going to have to forgive and many other times you are going to need forgiveness. Herein lies the secret. When we refuse to forgive, not only is it toxic to yourself, but you kind of say that your mistakes are more acceptable than his. Years together will reveal countless mistakes made by each half of the partnership. We may as well drop the superiority complex and accept our mutual imperfection. Forgiveness liberates both of you to have a fresh new beginning. So practice grace, even if your spouse may not deserve it. I promise you that the tables will turn at some point of life and you will need the favor returned. Number 11. Don't have a backup plan. Eliminate all other options. Yep, you heard me. No thinking that if this does not work out. No fostering relationships with anyone who could be a threat to your marriage. Practice radical faithfulness. Bill Withers, one of my favorite singers in the whole world, <laughs> sings in one of his songs. You are too much for one man, but not enough for two. Number 12. Share daily highs and lows firstly with your spouse. John Maxwell an authority on leadership, shares how this simple practice has kept him and his wife close and helped to fuel their friendship. True friendship is the foundation of any great marriage. This is no secret. But how are we actively fueling the fire of friendship? Reflect if this point needs some attention and if adjustments need to be made. This connects with number 13. Never stop dating each other. The difference between the excitement of dating and the reality of marriage is not the fact that you are married, it is simply an attitude change. It's when you stop making an effort for each other. When marriage seems stale, start dating each other again with first time curiosity, excitement and effort. Never underestimate thoughtful gestures and little surprises for each other. And don't wait for him. Be the one who starts a new tradition of creating beautiful moments and memories. Number 14. Be different, but work as a team. Embrace each other's strengths and weaknesses. Find out how you complement each other. Instead of competing each other for selfish gain, celebrate 
each other's successes as if it is your own and come alongside your partner with strength when he is weak. Attempting to highlight your strengths and focusing on his weaknesses may help you win the round, babe, but you will end up losing the race. Number 15. Criticism kills. If you are looking for something bad, trust me, you will find it. Discuss issues. Find solutions. This is constructive. Accusation, blame and pointing fingers will always destroy. The reverse is also true. If you are looking for something good, you will definitely find that there is much to love and be grateful for. Number 16. Create shared values and a shared vision for your life. I cannot stress this enough. Establish those from the beginning. But if you haven't, it's never too late. This is far more important than sharing common interests or feelings of attraction. Although they have relevance, interests, hobbies and careers change. Even if they have brought you together, shared values, for example, are your principles on faith, faithfulness and the importance of family. Your vision for your life, for example, is what you would like your family to look like in 10 or 20 or 30 years. These are the foundations which help you build a solid home that lasts. Number 17. Praise him privately and publicly. Do it sincerely and in a way that speaks to his heart. Let your other half shine and set them up for success. We share the negative so easily, don't we? And yet, all of us desire some measure of affirmation and approval from each other. Acknowledge him for who he is. Give him credit for where he makes an effort or what he is good at. Number 18. Choose your tribe wisely. Choose to surround yourself with those who are for you, those who are in favor of your relationship and who want to see both of you thrive. Even so, be wise. Remember, whatever you share about your spouse cannot be unsaid. Often you move past your problems, but the others still remember the pain that it caused you and they may struggle to forgive. Number 19. This is a personal one, but for me, it is the most powerful of them all. Choose to do your marriage with God. If I had to choose a mentor to lead me through marriage, I would choose someone who emulated true, unselfish love and empowerment. Think for a moment and hit pause before you answer. Who has demonstrated in all of history the most radical love story ever written? It will be very difficult to deny the power, the gentleness and the transformational love that the historical Jesus displayed. His documented historical act of love is impressive. My point number 20 is therefore that we need all the help we can get and I am so grateful for a mentor who fuels our marriage with what it needs to flourish. I truly pray this for you too, my friend. Number 20. Own your mistakes. Own it like the woman you are. Admit it when you've messed up. Don't cover it up or hide it. Learn to sincerely apologize when you are at fault. And then act accordingly. It is humbling to feel like you owe somebody something. But when you've messed up, don't justify, don't make excuses. Take responsibility and own it. And a final number 21. 
Love the one that you are with in the circumstance that you are in. Live and love wildly, freely, joyfully. Don't reschedule it for when it's more convenient, when there is more money, more time, when the kids are bigger. Now is your moment. Remember, you may not have tomorrow. You may notice that this is written to us as women. I wrote this as a girlfriend to my girlfriends, knowing that the exact same thing applies to men. And if both parties would apply these consistently, many more marriages would flourish. But I wrote to you, because I believe as women, we hold a special power to guide and guard the hearts that we are entrusted with. We are, I believe, the guardians of our galaxy, with the power to introduce change into our marriage and relationships. So here's the suggestion. Instead of just listening to this podcast and moving on, print out this little cheat sheet of 21 practices and practice it. Did you know that it takes 21 days for a new thought to be formed in our minds? Amazing, isn't it? If your marriage is already great, see it as a way to further enrich what you already have. If your marriage is suffering, I am here to bring you hope and solid strategies which can bring about change. Just whatever you do, don't give up, my friend. Your best years are still ahead. Well, friends, this is it for today. I would like to invite you to connect with me also on social media. You can find me on Instagram at Lifestyle Designer on Insta or on Facebook at The Lifestyle Emporium Tribe. You can also reach me through my website, thelifestyleemporium.ch, which offers both learning experiences and mentorship and my contact details should you want to get in touch. Until next time.